Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience, and today we bring you the story of Pete Newell. He is one of the most interesting characters in all of basketball history. This is the first of a two-part episode on this Hall of Fame coach, and the reason that I wanted to explore the life and career of Pete Newell is because he is credited with popularizing and refining the full-court press and weak side defensive help. If you are listening to this, then you are passionate about basketball history. The game that is played today is light years beyond what the game looked like when it was invented in 1891. Developments in strategy and tactics have been going on for the entire existence of the game. Everybody is always looking for new ways to gain an advantage, and the game changes with each generation. His defensive ideas are still used today, and you know you had a good idea when you come up with a new basketball concept and it is still being used nearly 80 years years later. And I wanted to put a spotlight on one of those guys that really took the game to another level and leaped forward with his ideas. That man is Pete Newell. And I first heard about him when I was still a kid in the 1980s. And I knew that he ran something called Pete Newell's Big Man Camp. And I also knew that many NBA centers and forwards would go to his camp to improve their low post skills. And I thought to myself, okay, this guy has never been a coach in the NBA, but he somehow gets a whole bunch of NBA players to come to him for help in improving their skills. This guy must be some sort of a basketball wizard. What I did not know about him when I was still a kid is that he coached at the University of San Francisco and he coached them to the NIT championship in 1949 with a bunch of players that really had no business being there. And that was at a time when the NIT was considered the more prestigious basketball tournament. He also won the NCAA tournament in 1959 at the University of California with a starting five that he never even recruited. He also coached the 1960 United States Olympic team to a gold medal in Rome, Italy. Pete Newell could coach almost any team to success, assuming that the team was willing to put in the time to improve their skills. The man had one of the most interesting lives that I have ever come across. Pete Newell was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on August 31st, 1915. He was the last of eight children and the fifth son born to Pete Sr. and Alice Newell. The family settled in the LA area and young Pete was put into motion pictures by his mother. Pete never liked acting, but it was good money and he did have a knack for it. You know that very classic Charlie Chaplin movie called The Kid from 1921? Well, if you haven't, just take my word that it is one of the most absolute classic films from the silent era of Hollywood. In that movie, Charlie Chaplin playing his tramp character cares for an abandoned child. The role of the kid was famously played by Jackie Coogan, who later played Oliver Twist to rave reviews and was Uncle Fester on the original Adams Family show in the 1960s. Well, when Charlie Chaplin was casting for the role of the kid, he auditioned hundreds of boys for the part, but in the end, it came down to two boys for that role. 
Jackie Coogan, and Little Pete Newell. Alice Newell was mightily disappointed because the movie went on to huge success. Little Pete was glad that he did not get that role because he hated acting, and if he had gotten the role, it might have turned into a real Hollywood career, which he did not want. Eventually, his mother allowed Pete to walk away from her Hollywood dream. And as he grew up, he was considered very handsome, incredibly intelligent, and extremely athletic. He played every sport there was, but basketball was the game that fascinated him the most. But he would not go into basketball full-time until a little bit later. First, he served in the United States Navy during World War II. He saw action there, but thankfully survived. While in the Navy, he played some basketball as well. He played for Tony Hinkle, who later coached at Butler University, and the arena there is named after him, the Hinkle Fieldhouse. He also met and got to know a very young Red Auerbach, who was still a high school coach, but coached basketball in the Navy as a way of serving his country. Now, once his service was complete, he went on to play some minor league baseball in the Dodgers organization. He played in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, Arkansas and hit 217 during his time there. Now, as his baseball career fizzled out, he decided to work for a shipping company called Dollar Line. He worked on cargo ships that allowed him to see nearly all of Southeast Asia, as the ships he worked on went back and forth between the Port of Los Angeles and multiple ports in Asia. And he did that for about a year and then decided he needed to get on with something to get his future going. And I mean, the guy was only 24 years old at that point, but he had already had an entire lifetime's worth of experiences. So with that in mind, he decided to attend college and play basketball at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles in order to be near his family. The coach at Loyola Marymount was Jimmy Needles, who was also the original national team coach in 1936 when he coached the United States to the very first gold medal at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Now, by the way, I do a full episode on that 1936 Olympic tournament. It is episode 47 if you want to check that out. One of Newell's teammates at Loyola was Phil Wolpert, who later also coached at San Francisco and was smart enough to take on a young and raw talent by the name of Bill Russell. Now, back to Pete Newell. A couple of years after graduating from Loyola Marymount, he found his first coaching job at the University of San Francisco in 1946. And he was a young 31-year-old head coach, and he had some very strong ideas of how he wanted his team to play. His teams at San Francisco had virtually no budget. They did not even have their own gym. They had to rent a gym nearby for games and practices, and they had to drive to nearly every game they had. It was like playing in the backwaters of college basketball. He had very little support and very little talent on the team when he arrived. Now, am I giving San Francisco a bit of a hard time? Yes, I am. You see, I am a graduate of Santa Clara University, and we play in the same conference as the University of San Francisco, and they are one of our rivals. So I can be a little bit honest in my personal dislike for the University of San Francisco. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and I will be right back with more on Pete Newell's time coaching the Dons at the University of San Francisco. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique 
unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hello, sports history fans. I'm Ross from the podcast Pigskin Tales. You're about to jump into another thrilling sports history moment. But first, let's dive into today's sponsor, just in time for the holiday season. Introducing Art of Words, the brainchild of word artist Dan Duffy from Philadelphia. Dan meticulously crafts stunning images by handwriting relevant words from some of the greatest sports moments in time. These unique budget-friendly illustrations are the perfect gift, sparking cherished memories and capturing hearts. Choose from city skylines, sports, history, and musicians to find a piece for everyone. And here's the exciting part. For that sports fanatic in your life, gift them a piece of their favorite team or player's history. Art of Words tells a compelling story. Explore collegiate stadiums, each meticulously crafted with every football victory etched into words. Or venture into baseball stadiums, handwritten with every player from the team's illustrious history. My favorite on the site is Bryce Harper 2021 MVP year. Because I'm a big stats guy, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Check it out! Don't wait! Order a print today for yourself and your loved one this holiday season. Transform your wall into a gallery of captivating art and surprise your family and friends with a print of their own. Use code SHN15 at artofwords.com for a 15% discount on your order in November and December. Visit Art of Words, where words magically transform into stunning art, evoking cherished memories and touching the hearts of those who you care about. Again, use the code SHN15 for 15% off at artofwords.com. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with our profile on the great Pete Newell. At the University of San Francisco, he implemented a pressure defense, and he liked to go full court at times and really put the other team's guards under some serious heat, as San Francisco made the opponents work hard to get into their half-court set. Newell's philosophy was that if the other team had trouble just getting into their half-court set, then how successful could they be? He wanted to attack the opposition to prevent them from even getting into a flow. Now, Pete Newell does not take credit for inventing the pressure defense. He claims to have seen it elsewhere, but he did put a lot of effort in refining the principles of his pressure defense. When other coaches of his day were asked about it, they gave Newell full credit. They say things like, Newell may not have invented it, but he was the first coach that I saw use it. You see, it was a complete change of philosophy around how you play defense in basketball. Up until the 1940s, most teams would get back on defense and try to pack it in the lane to prevent layups and short jump shots. Remember, back then nobody was taking 20-foot bombs from the outside. The whole idea of the offense in the 1940s was to get as close to the basket as possible in order to take your shot. That is why nearly every team packed it in defensively to prevent the other team from getting anywhere near the basket. Newell completely flipped the script on sending his guards way out and picking up the other team's ball handlers in the backcourt and then playing the passing lane so that the ball handlers 
handler had nowhere to go. It was an extremely disrupted defense. Teams did not know how to handle it, and many coaches did not know how to adjust to it either. This was something completely new. Now, please hear me when I make this next analogy. I am not trying to compare playing basketball to war. One is a game, and the other is, well, war. But there is some overlap in how someone guards territory for strategic purposes. In battle, if one army needs to guard a castle, they will sometimes pull everyone back to the castle to have the strongest force possible to defend it. And that is how most basketball teams thought of the basket as a castle that needed to be defended. But in Newell's philosophy, he would send a detachment away from the castle and meet the enemy when they were still beyond the river and cause as much disruption as possible so that the opposition never even got near the castle. Now, I hope that all makes sense. Again, my comparison here is strictly a comparison of strategy, not the stakes involved between playing a basketball game and actual military combat. Now, during the first year at the University of San Francisco, Pete Newell was the head coach of the basketball team, the baseball team, the golf team, and the tennis team. And that was not completely uncommon back in those days. Most coaches would often coach multiple sports. Now, in his first season with the basketball team, he completely turned them around and they only lost one game with this new pressure defense that they were using. By 1949, Newell had led his basketball team all the way to the NIT championship in New York City, and at the time, it was considered the real national championship. The NIT was still regularly securing the best schools to play in it. The NCAA tournament existed, but it would not be until around the 1950s when the prestige of the NCAA tournament surpassed the NIT. So in 1949, it was the NIT champion who was considered by the media to be the real national champion. And that again was the University of San Francisco. Also, the San Francisco tennis team won the national championship in 1949 as well. And as far as I can tell, Pete Newell is the only coach in college history to win a national championship in two different sports during the same academic year. That is incredible. Now, the other thing he did with that NIT championship was introduce the pressure defense to the East Coast. Prior to the 1940s, each region of the United States played a slightly different style of basketball since travel was harder to come by back then, and so each region of the U.S. developed its own style. Essentially, West Coast teams were known for playing a very fast style of ball where they just simply tried to outscore you. Now, back in the East Coast, they played a slow-down, half-court, physical style of ball. But once those East Coast teams saw what San Francisco was doing with the pressure defense, there were more than a few East Coast coaches who contacted Pete Newell to study the finer points of that pressure defense. And to Newell's credit, he was happy to show any coach the finer points of his defense. Now that tells me a lot about the kind of man that Pete Newell was. Most coaches back then, or even today, would not share anything with another coach. But Pete would because he just wanted to see the game get better. He believed in the sharing of ideas among coaches, and because of that, he made a lot of friends in the coaching community and became very well respected among other coaches. And one more thing that Newell came up with was the concept of the weak side help on defense. Up until then, everyone was left one-on-one, -on -one, and if your man beat you, then he beat you. But Newell said no. He came up with a way for teammates to help each other on defense by bringing in a weak side help, and other players would then rotate over to prevent the pass to the weak side forward for an easy bucket. You know, here in 2024, we sort of take for granted that all of the basketball strategy that you might see on television has just always been there, but it wasn't. 
Everything that you see in a typical college game or NBA game was invented by somebody. Then that idea was refined or tweaked by others over the decades. Even the idea of bouncing the ball to dribble it was invented by somebody because it was not part of the original game invented by Naismith in 1891. So when you think of Pete Newell, keep in mind that he popularized pressure defense, full court defense, and weak side help on defense. Those are three concepts that he spread around basketball because they proved so effective. And I consider P. Newell to be a legitimate basketball genius. The way that he thought about basketball was so far ahead of his time. And part of the reason that I wanted to do a story on Newell is to help remind all of us here who love the game of basketball who came up with this stuff. And I want to give credit where credit is due. So that is it for today on our profile on Pete Newell. Join us next time in part two when we talk about his move to Michigan State University, the University of California, his time with the Rockets and the Lakers of the NBA, and his time working his big man's camp. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>